Welcome to Actionable Insights on the Business of Healthcare, a podcast from Doctivity Health to help you navigate today's challenging healthcare environment. More than ever, business success enables investment in people and technology needed to best care for your patients. I'm your host, David Jolly. It's my pleasure today to talk with David Hargraves, Senior Vice President of Supply Chain at Premier Incorporated. We're going to cover a lot of ground. So this will be the first of two parts. Be sure to check out part two in our next episode. Welcome, David, and thank you for joining us to talk about the importance of effective supply chain management, not only to a healthcare organization's operational performance, but also to the provision of quality patient care. Dave, thanks very much for having me today. I'm looking forward to sharing with you the great work that we're doing to try to help our providers. Well, I appreciate it very much. I think just about everyone knows of Premier, but please begin by telling us a little bit about Premier and its mission. Absolutely. You know, Dave, I'm very blessed to be able to work with Premier and our members. We're an excellent company. We're doing really important work to get a little bit more specific. So we are the leading healthcare improvement company. We support about 4,400 hospitals across the U.S. and about 250,000 other providers and organizations. And what we do for them, it's really a combination of services. So on the supply chain end, we have one of the leading group purchasing organizations. We have an incredible AI tech platform. We have consulting services. We do collaboratives where we bring together clinicians across the country to try to solve some of the most difficult problems. We have an advocacy office that's very active in Washington and really helps to shape some of the legislation that goes through in America. And at the biggest portion of it is we're trying to enable our providers, the healthcare providers, to tackle today's most pressing challenges. But we're also trying to accelerate healthcare transformation for the future. So really, there's almost no hospital in the U.S. that doesn't do business with Premier in some way or benefits in some way from the work that we do. And again, that's why I'm, I'm so proud of the company itself, the important work that we do. Well, that's great. Uh, sounds like uh, you're very busy. You're responsible for a wide spectrum of things. I noticed on, on your bio, contract management, business analytics, operations, group purchasing, and e-commerce. So talk a little bit about your role at Premier. My, my first thought is to say to you, what do you do after lunch? <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, that's that takes care of Tuesday, right? What do I do the rest <laughs> of the So Dave, if you think about it first off from a hospital, if you look at a hospital's expenditures, there are essentially two things, the labor and then everything else. So if you look at it at the highest level, what is it that I do? It's I and my team work with our members to focus on the everything else. The technical way we'd say that is all of their non-labor expense. Right. So my role really mirrors the role of a chief supply chain officer at any of our member hospitals. And if I'm doing it correctly, my role complements their role. So I lead our supply chain services team. Our job, that team's job, is to deliver low-cost, high-quality healthcare. And the way we do it is then my team works alongside our members, and we identify and qualify suppliers who can help us deliver on the mission. Then we combine our purchasing volume, negotiate the best possible prices and terms and conditions on behalf of the membership. And so it's really, again, it's a complementary effort, a complementary team working side by side with our healthcare providers to drive that lower cost, higher quality healthcare. And that alignment, alignment in mission, alignment in the work that we have set out before us is really powerful and valuable, and it's also effective. And then the thing that we do in addition to that, if you will, is we develop a lot of advanced technology products for our members. 
And those product provider members, incredible insights that help them manage that non-labor expense, improve the productivity of their department and monitor supplier performance. So, so I'm helping them on their daily work of reducing their cost, but then investing a lot of money into the technology to make them more efficient and better all the time. And of course, that ties back to the idea of Premier as a performance improvement company. And it really is an exciting and challenging job, even before the pandemic, but post-pandemic, it uh, got a lot more exciting for the last three years, for sure. I'm intrigued a little bit. You've mentioned technology twice. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Technology is a big portion of Premier. Now, we have it in a a lot of different areas. I'm going to focus on the areas that impact the supply chain and that that non-labor expense. They are a full portfolio, and we are regularly inventing new and leading products. I'll just give you a couple to give you an idea. First and foremost, if you're going to manage $3 billion of non-labor expense, that's a real number that a large IDN might have to manage. The very first thing is you have to be able to see it. What do I spend? With whom? Where? Uh, do I have a great price? Do I not have it? So you have a lot of activity and work around seeing the spend and managing the spend. And that's really, though, at the core of the work. But when I talk about some of the advanced technologies, how do you know when a supplier is performing well or not? How do you know what next product might go on shortage before it actually goes on shortage and the rest of the world knows about it? How do you determine in your portfolio of pharmaceuticals, how do you manage the margin within the facility? How do you ensure that in a far-flung healthcare system, that all of the thousands of healthcare entities inside that large integrated delivery network, how do you make sure they're all paying the same price for the same item? They're ordering it in the right quantity. So we really have done a great job, I believe, because our members tell us what to build for them, in building really the only suite of technology that lets them manage all of that non-labor expense, and then layering on the more advanced things, like I said, on resiliency, shortage management, supplier performance management, and things like that. It's a fact that because healthcare providers, their margins are so low, they'll never really be able to hire the staff that other industries do. That is the ratio of employees to the spend they manage. And so the trick to make this work in the United States is you've got to deploy technologies that make the members smarter, more efficient, and more productive. Uh, It's the only way that you can really operate such large amounts of spend and control that with a lean staff that's required in a low margin model. Especially so given today with the inflation out there and the the demand that makes the labor costs go so high with uh, supply and demand, I imagine that some of these same principles make the everything else side of the business even more important to keep a close eye on. Yeah, unquestionably about it. The, um, you know, as go the fates of the nation, so often does healthcare. So supply shortages, raw material shortages, inflationary impact on freight, difficulty getting some really high quality talent in the supply chain, just like the nursing shortage that's, um, you know, that's been so prevalent over the last couple of years. You know, talk about the data, Dave, that we have. If we look at our pink AI data, and if you just focused on that labor, just clinical labor, forget the supply chain for a minute. You know, our data showed that the healthcare systems in the U.S. are paying 24 billion, and it's billion with a B, more per year for their qualified clinical labor than they did before the pandemic. And there's lots of examples in the supply chain world I can as well, but this is material 
that inflationary impact and labor shortages. And it's one of the reasons why last year, 2022, half of the U.S. hospitals wound up with a negative operating margin. And that's just not sustainable. And again, it's that's why I feel so fortunate for me to work for Premier is we're on the good side of that equation. We're doing everything we can to get them back to a positive operating margin and really get them to be, again, cost-effective, high-quality healthcare. You know, you mentioned the pandemic, and uh, I have to include the obligatory COVID-19 questions. How did the pandemic affect the supply chain, and how did this affect staffing and operating margins at your member hospitals? Sure, happy to address it. Yeah, and I, honestly, it's a question that is obligatory, if you will, but it's important <laughs> for your listeners also to understand sort of the phases. So let me just hit a couple here. First off, it's important to note that when the pandemic hit, the sudden increase in global demand was unprecedented and there was no healthcare system anywhere in the world who could have been adequately prepared for it because it just went, the demand went up so high so fast. So that led to acute shortages of a lot of products. We all remember some of the crazy times on masks and gloves and gowns and hand sanitizers. But then the part that happened afterwards is what you hit on, which is then the labor shortages. The delivery of healthcare was impacted. And we had the number I mentioned about the rise that happened in the cost of the clinical labor. You might remember, it's not so long ago now, the congestion shown in the U.S. ports, the 100-plus container ships sitting off the coast of California. And those two things combined, those labor shortages, product shortages, logistics, which got choked out towards the end of that, led then to a rapid rise in all sorts of inflation and supplies. So then we started to see inflation coming in across the board in metals and plastics and electronics and other areas. And then there was the Russian invasion of the Ukraine just about a year ago. And now you have food inflation that comes on top of that. So yeah, healthcare and global supply chain really, but healthcare here in the US has really been a challenge over the last three years to say the least. If I try to find a silver lining in that, Dave, if you take a look at all the lessons that we learned from the pandemic, the healthcare supply chain is going to be stronger and more resilient emerging from the pandemic than it was entering it. I mean, there are key lessons that we learn from here, and now we are working side by side with our members to make sure it's a never event, never happens again. You know, one of the things we learned was that data and transparency around supply availability wasn't adequate. We worked with the U.S. government, we worked with state governments, we worked with our members during the pandemic just to understand who had what inventory of key shortage supplies and where were they? And where were they in the chain of raw materials? And I I could tell you numbers of stories about the work that we did to intervene, to try to move supplies, prioritize some of those container ships, bring them into port faster and, and really work through that. So that One of the things we're advocating now in Washington, as well as in industry trade groups, is the need for, don't forget that, need for better data transparency around supply availability. And then the other one, which we took a lot of strong action on, was the over-reliance of certain geographic regions, primarily Southeast Asia. But the percentage of products used in the U.S. that emanated from that region, and if you got more specifically in the countries of China and India, It really, the pandemic revealed the over-reliance in there. And so we've had a a platform and made multiple investments and changed some of our processes to make sure that there is a geographically diverse footprint for manufacturing of those most critical medical supplies 
and pharmaceuticals. Again, we created several factories here in the U.S. We've worked with the government to make sure that they can help support domestic manufacturing. But the domestic manufacturing, it isn't just pick up your factory in China and move it to the U.S. It really is about a globally diverse footprint with multiple redundancies so that overall you can create a more resilient supply chain. As the fact is, when the products aren't available, then patient care can be impacted. And so number one, got to make sure that we don't go through again the shortages that we saw during that pandemic. I don't know if you saw this, but I, I imagine it would make you cringe. There was just an article about New York City selling all these ventilators that they purchased at a high number back when uh, the pandemic first started and they were really selling them for pennies, actually scrapping the, the materials. Yeah, I did see that. And um, we were actively involved, as were so many of uh, companies and helping to get through that that sudden rise in demand. It really, yes. Dave, in supply chain broadly, forget just healthcare, we look broadly, there are lots of products that go through sudden demands and then you wind up you know, with a shortage and then inflation and then a glut. Dating myself some, but throughout the 90s, there were uh, shortages of memory chips and you had the uh, PC manufacturers would go through it. And, you know, there's lots of stories there about spending a billion dollars to create a new a wafer fab to build memory chips only to not open it because the market had fallen since then. So it is human nature when there is a shortage to try to protect yourself. What's different here is it's all right-minded because it was about the delivery of healthcare and the right. taking care of the patients that were inside there. And so, no, I don't like to see those, but if I give you just sort of an idea, coming out of the pandemic, I'll give you two ideas. One, the shortages during the pandemic were 10 to 12 to 14 times higher than they were pre-pandemic. So thousands of different items that were on shortage at any time uh, during the height of that pandemic. Right. That number's fallen now by about half. Shortages are still prevalent. Shortages are still four to six times higher today than they were pre-pandemic. That's one. So it's important that we talk about post-pandemic, but the supply chain is not out of the woods yet. And that's really the second point and tie it into the New York story. Right now, many suppliers, Many, many suppliers are sitting on inflated inventories, again, bought for the right purpose to protect the patients and ensure the caregivers had what they had at inflated costs. So as raw material prices come down, transportation's prices are coming down, that's great. And those are headlines that are always wonderful to see. But you've got to think about the raw material inventory and the work in process inventory and the finished good inventory, all of which was purchased at those inflated prices. So it's going to take most of this calendar year for the suppliers, the manufacturers to really work through all of that. And again, you know, I can't speak specifically to the issue in, in uh, New York, but I can say it is a broad industry issue. Uh, what do you do with the overstock? What do you do with the inventory? And, and while not true on ventilators themselves, but on a lot of products, they also expire. So you've got to do something with them prior to them not being able to be used. Right. It even tells more so that you have to have a crystal ball, which talks about the importance of the data. You know, and Doctivity is all about properly gathering and analyzing actionable data to shape good decisions for its clients. And you touched on that. So let's delve a little bit deeper into the data. How do you utilize it to do your job better and for Premier to add value to your clients? Sure, absolutely. We touched on a few of the things. Again, data is, we are data-driven, technology-enabled, if you will. All of the work we do 
having that core technology in the data is it's incredibly important. Important for a lot of reasons, but if I just focus on some of it, take the example I just used of where you know shortages were 10 or 12 times as high, now they're four to six times time. Well, think about this though. Those staffing at the hospital, the supply chain folks, my staff, you don't have more people today than you had pre-pandemic. So those shortages, while they continue today, they're arguably more challenging to manage. So one of the ways that our data helps is our data shows, first, where are the shortages shifting? What products before, what products are coming into the future? Highlight some of the pervasive issues that are inside of it, make it less unpredictable and give you some visibility into that, and then work with the members to give them alternatives. So uh, we could try to give you a real example. We have a technology that will predict future shortage based on ordering patterns and fill rates and lead times and things today. And that's great, but knowing that something bad is going to happen is not enough. You have to go further than that and then say, who are the alternative suppliers? What are other healthcare systems using instead of that product? Do you have a clinically vetted cross-reference? And do you have a large data set around that? What's the supply availability of the alternative product? And so we do a lot of that. We actually just had a call this past week on an emergent one, a product that is on a shipment hold, the manufacturer is choosing not to ship the product until they satisfy an issue. And we are now trained to immediately dive into our data, come up with potential solutions with our members, gather them. We had 150 or so clinicians jump on a phone call where we went through and, and really helped them to identify some of those alternatives. So one place the data is used, predict shortages, react to shortages, provide that information to the members to be able to do it. And again, that is a heavy labor load for them that is made more efficient if we're able to jump in there and help them. It's costly in labor. It's also costly in the spend. You know, it is rare that when one product is unavailable, the alternative product costs less. Not that it never happens, but that's rare. If it was an equivalent product and cost less, most people would probably be using that one already. So that is one of the things that we help them to do is not just find out what's a product that's an acceptable replacement, but one that's also cost-effective. Throw a number on there. In pharmacy alone, our data, looking back at 2022, showed about $1.1 billion in increased hospital spend tied to purchases of substitute products when the original product was unavailable due to shortage. So a billion dollars more spent on alternative products because you couldn't get it. So it goes back to the cost of what happens when the items are in shortage. And of course, I mentioned as well, lightly, there's also an impact on potential impact on delivering patient care when there are shortages. And the data shows that. Give you one more just quick example, Dave. So our data showed that up to 10% of hospital inpatients who should have received an advanced image as part of their recommended care didn't get it due to a nationwide shortage of contrast media that happened in the spring of 22, which was related to a port shutdown in Shanghai, which was related to COVID. So just think about that. 10% of hospital inpatients should have gotten an advanced image, but they couldn't because of that shortage of contrast media. So those, are, again, is the work that we do really all the time. And the data helps us to drive towards that and to really help make sure that the members have a path, have an answer, have an alternative. Again, low-cost, high-quality health care being the mission. That's a wrap for today, but we continue speaking with David in our next episode. So be sure to check that out. There's a lot more for us to cover with him. 
and watch for our next edition of Actionable Insights on the Business of Healthcare. Thank you for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please share, rate, and review it on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting platform. For more information on how Doctivity provides actionable insights to drive revenue and improve operational performance, visit DoctivityHealth.com, where you will find our videos, blogs, case studies, and more. See you next time for Doctivity's actionable insights on the business of healthcare.